You're listening to The Poncho Section, conversations about all things media and Mel Brooks. It's a podcast. And here's your hosts, Michael Canfer and Ethan Feldstein. So, Ethan, how are you when it comes to storytelling? Um, well, I'm pretty terrible. I'm oh, really me bad. Too. I'm, I'm good at this podcast, I think. <laughs> I think I've gotten better, but I'm really bad in front of like a group of people. Yeah, when it comes to storytelling, for some reason, I just cannot do it. It's either the timing, the, the rhythm, I have boring stories, I tell too much information, or I tell not enough information. Yeah, I think all my good stories I've probably told on this podcast. Okay, yeah. I told one of them last week. So hopefully today maybe we could sharpen up my storytelling techniques and my skizzles. Your what? My skizzles. Your skizz I thought you said your skittles. Oh no, my skizzles. Okay. That's, that's how the cool kids today say skills. And to help us out with that, we have a wonderful guest, Miss Jia Jung. Hi guys. And you might know Jia from uh, some of her writing. Uh, she's written in uh, Public Radio International. She's written for Vice, uh, among a bunch of other uh, publications. You might have heard her or seen her tell a story with The Moth or The Shed, or maybe one of her many podcasts, or apparently there's paintings and, and photography. It doesn't seem that there's anything that Jia does not do. Wow. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah, well, <laughs> of course. That Hard resume. to live up to. That is a resume. That, no pressure. That makes me exhausted. It makes me feel kind of lazy myself. <laughs> Not kind of lazy, very lazy. Right? Because I, I usually, I get through the day and then I come home and I just, I lie down. Yeah, what are we doing with our life? Yeah. yeah no, in reality, I'm just a nine to fiver who <laughs> feels like she has to make up for it in the free time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so just to kick it off, so today we wanted to talk about storytelling and writing. And I was thinking about it and storytelling is just such like a universal like human kind of thing and i was curious as to what you guys were thinking is like the reason why that is like why it is such a universal kind of thing for all cultures to have a storytelling kind of uh aspects and what storytelling means to you guys um well i don't know all what right. it means to me yeah I, well if you, I have, mean, if you have any thoughts maybe to see if people can relate you know i feel like that's a big thing but yeah. i feel like gia you could probably explain it a lot more I totally agree with that. I think um, it's also can be it can be cathartic to express yourself. Yes. But then it's a bonus if you actually tell stories to people, mm -hmm. and it brings people together because uh, you can make a connection with them. You can see them identifying. You know. Yeah. Well, or when you're listening to stories too. Yeah, That's absolutely. True. And for me, like I'll, I'll write sometimes, but I'll just like write my own thoughts out on paper mm -hmm. and whatever. It's just like word vomit, like whatever's coming out of my head. And that that's kind of like a good feeling where it's just kind of like, okay, it's out there. Even if I'm not sharing it with anyone, but I feel like storytelling kind of takes it to the next level. Totally. You know, when you're in front of an audience. Yeah. And it's, and it's nerve wracking too, I can imagine. It definitely can be nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I definitely, I think you guys hit, hit it, the nail on the head when it comes to there, there's the catharsis of it, there's mm -hmm. the community. So yeah, Gia, you've done stories with The Moth, you've done stories with, uh, I've never heard of them before, but The Shed. Yeah, The Shed's awesome. They're a smaller group and they do something around every month. Oh, that's very cool. What, what do you, for, for somebody that's done it a bunch of times, what do you, does it take to go up there on stage and... and I guess, spit your words. Well, um, the answer for this for me is when I first told a story at The Moth, I kind of didn't really know what it was. 
um, someone had told me, like I was in this position, I hated my job so much. I would like drink Diet Coke in the bathroom. I just hated that job. And I got together with someone just to complain about my life. And she, I guess I was telling a bunch of stories to her, you know? And she asked if I knew about the moth. And I went on there and there was a story. They have a lot of stories up there that you can listen to. And um, there's this guy named Ed Gavigan. And he talks about how he walked into an initiation of the Latin Kings back in the 80s when he was working here at a bar. That Yeah, it was just... (laughs) And I listened to it over and over and over. And I noticed that they had these um, live events where people can just come in off the streets and... Well, you know, not off the streets, but you stand in line and you get a ticket. And there are these themes. Mm -hmm. And so I had actually been let go from that job. And I was just having the worst time in New York. It was maybe my third year in New York and so many bad things had happened. And then I just started looking at that site and the next theme was refuge. And I was like, you know what? I have shit to say. So I just wrote stuff down and showed up and there was like a line around the block. And I thought, what the, (laughs) what is this? You know, I thought it would be like, when I hear story slam, I think of like a coffee house sure sure like college students yeah i know exactly (laughs) yeah i mean there's nothing that's what i thought i was walking and those are cool too i I like those a lot so i think um you have to have stuff to say you really do Mm -hmm. but on the other hand some a lot of people just make it happen they'll like shoehorn and those are skilled storytellers who are like doing it as a profession and making a name for themselves and they can it's like a craft you know right yeah so, but for me, I have to have something to say. Otherwise, it, it won't be very good. Right. So you showed up and you said there was like a line around the block. Mm-hmm. Did you end up getting to speak that night? Yeah, I did. Oh, wow. So I actually got called up and I said my thing. And so it's a contest set up. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And I won by a tenth of a point. Oh, damn. By a tenth yeah. of a point. <laughs> and my story. Where are these judges? <laughs> It's like, that's so close. (laughs) They have various judges in the audience, but it was so, I didn't even, it wasn't the winning. It was just the audience's reaction because it was like this SOB story about all this stuff that had happened, like some guy jacking off on my fire escape and like some confusing relationship (laughs) with a guy friend and all these terrible things happening. And yeah, people, someone started up a cash collection for me because yeah, I talked about losing my job. And okay. all of this stuff. So I met a lot of lifelong friends that night, actually. Oh, that's excellent. And that's the first time I realized storytelling was a thing. And there's a mm-hmm. whole community around it. And since then, it's gotten, it's become a real buzzword or like yeah. um, something corporations are looking into now. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Like, what are the, mm-hmm. what are the odds that you showed up your first time and then you end up winning? Like, that's, yeah. that's. Stuff happens in movies. Yeah, and had you ever done it. anything like that before? Any type of storytelling or any really anything like public speaking in front of an audience type deal? The oddest thing, I don't really talk about this, but I got a graduate degree in international relations, okay. and I'm totally bitter about it. Like, I <laughs> pay so many student loans, it didn't really lead me to anything. But um, I was actually elected student body president, and I mm. think what happened was I treated it I treated grad school like it was college. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not about having attention or even being a leader in the way that people talk about it. But I just felt like, I don't know, I just went up there and I had to speak. 
in that capacity, you know, like during elections. And then after I did become the student body president, I had to speak at certain things like introducing people at events or just like giving little speeches. And um, oddly, I found that I enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah. Would you say um, before that happened, were you introverted or extroverted? Um, I asked just because I was part of the radio station in my college, and I found that the radio station helped me become more extroverted and able to be more outgoing and, and outspoken. And I'm curious, was that something similar, or were you always able to kind of speak in front of people? Well, the answer to that is another pretty long story. Yeah. So, we had time. <laughs> you know how every parent parents always think that their baby is a genius or like super gifted yeah not my parents <laughs> no, just no but like <laughs> so um it just goes back to when I was a baby according to my mother I spoke and like sang at age at five months of age okay. and I oh, don't damn. believe her um and she can get pretty upset when I talk about it and then I'd love to sing and dance and then one day um and I kind of even remember this. I was three years old and I was like an angel in a Christmas pageant at this Korean church. And they, it was time for me to sing. And I was like, I don't remember feeling the fear, mm-hmm. but I just didn't want to. And I was like, no. And what caused the fear was my mom and several people like, come on, you can do it. And I could like feel that energy, like perform, yeah. you have to perform. Right, right. And after that, like um, I started learning piano and mm-hmm. I had terrible stage fright you know it was like almost physical and but I forced myself and in high school I ended up playing a concerto it's like 28 pages of music memorized with an orchestra gosh and something happened to me during that performance and it was like a hundred years ago it was in the year 2000 my senior year a hundred years ago in the year 2000 (laughs) yes like I'm I'm an older (laughs) individual But like, um, I distinctly remember, it's like I was nervous, but then I had this weird out-of-body experience. And my thoughts and perceptions divided up into several channels. So like on one hand, I was doing this piece I had really prepared and I was Mm -hmm. focused in that. But then I was also thinking in my head like, oh God, I'd better not screw up, blah, blah, blah. Like just having the randomest thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) And I was noticing the audience. So I would like see friends and they'd give me a smile and I'd like smile back. It was super weird. Yeah. Um, and I think that's when I got over my stage fright. But I still get super nervous. So you got over it at that? So like all the people, like <laughs> when you saw people looking at you and all these things that were happening, that kind of gave you some kind of like, well, I'm okay with it now. So you're just kind of flowing with it? I was just out of out of my body. Okay. And it was a really weird experience i can't but i think so i think the reason for it was preparation Mm. yeah so here's where i'm not the authority on it because a lot of storytellers just roll off the cuff and that is a real gift sure and i really i'm like jealous of those people Mm -hmm. but for me i think the fear went away because i i had prepared so much that it wasn't likely that I'd mess up or if I did. So what I ended up doing like two weeks before that performance, my piano teacher was like, Gia, like, I honestly, I don't see how this is going to be performable. And I got really scared. And this other girl in my class was doing a Mozart concerto. So we would go into this huge chapel with a piano 
and we'd like put our hands in the snow. This sounds like some fake like grandparents tale, but and because we're like when you get nervous, every weird things happen to you physically, and it can yeah. really mess you up. So we would like play, and I would just stop at random points and um, make sure I could start again and not space out. Because the biggest fear even now is like if I'm performing and telling a story, it's that I'll space out. Okay. It's not even making mistakes. I don't even care. It's like when you just lose where you are yeah mm -hmm. your mind kind of yeah. goes blank yeah and then yeah you can't that's my it worst fear yeah well i feel like that's got to be a fear for any performer mm -hmm. no yeah. matter what you're doing like that that could happen but mm -hmm. you kind of have to give yourself a break and i don't know try and find your way back yeah i definitely know that yeah. feeling yeah yeah um and i know a lot of people talk about they're like afraid what people think mm -hmm. you know and stuff yeah. like that and for some reason i have less of that mm-hmm that's and, really important. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But I think that can come from making sure it's important to you, like inherently yeah. important. Yeah, exactly. It's it's also about, yeah, not caring yourself or at least believing mm -hmm. in yourself. I feel like that's the key thing. And Absolutely. Because I feel like those are tied together. Mm -hmm. When you're worrying about what other people are thinking of you, you're also worrying about what you think of yourself. Right. And if, yeah. you, if you enjoy <laughs> what layers. you're doing, yeah. it definitely also helps relieve some of that stress that you might uh, have where you're thinking, oh, what do these people think about me? Well, you know what? I'm having fun. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Who cares? Yeah, I actually, I had a sort of on a much smaller scale, similar experience in high school where I did like kind of like one of those coffee shop type things. I had a couple of poems that I read Aww. in front of a group. And I, I'm, I'm still to this day like terrible stage fright, <laughs> although I haven't really done any kind of performing in a long time. But when I did that, I just like got up there and like, I don't even like, I just like went my thoughts just kind of went away. Mm. It was like a weird thing because I think I was just like really in it. But that's like the only time mm -hmm. it's ever happened. And I just like, I did it. I performed and like people were like really impressed. And they were like, what was that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> that's but awesome. I, I just did it. Yeah. So yeah, I can sort of relate to that experience. But maybe at the time I couldn't really define it in my head. I was just like, I don't, I don't know what just happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great when things work out that way. I had something happen at uh, work once where I had to give a presentation and I was kind of preparing a bunch and I ended up giving a better presentation than I expected. And yeah. I kind of had one of those moments where like I finished and I was like, what happened? I blacked out. Yeah. What, what did I say? <laughs> I do? Okay. Everybody was looking at me like, um, in like in my group, they were like, wow, that was amazing. What did like, that, that was incredible. I'm like, I don't know what I said. I don't know. It's like the same. Awesome. It's like, an, it's like being in the zone. Yeah. Like yeah. sports too. Mm -hmm. It's like, it all, it all connects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So I had a, a question about one of the, the stories that you told at The Moth. And it was, it's a really great story. It's, it's about the one about you deciding what to do with your father's ashes. Oh, yeah. And when you hear that, it doesn't sound like that would be, like, you think that would be really sad. But it's actually, like, it's kind of a funny story and a cathartic journey that you, you essentially go on. And so I was curious, what, for you, how does family kind of shape your writing and your storytelling? <laughs> well, if you don't want to... They've certainly you... given me a lot of material. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be honest, though, my, my dad really had the gift of gab, you know? Mm -hmm. And he had a real-life story. Like, um, he wandered away from his house when he was three, and he just was never found again. So he he basically, he was never adopted. He, he just, like... And the Korean War happened... So he oh was, my gosh. yeah, he was kind of partially raised by American GIs because he like oh ran away from a refugee camp. He'd hang around with hobos, but he had a lot of stories. That's incredible. I mean, it's 
It's sad, but it's also incredible at the same time. And my mother is an artist, Mm -hmm. and she's very observant and very descriptive. So while I don't necessarily associate formal storytelling like the way my dad did with her, um, the language and just details definitely kind of come from her. Hmm. And this is stuff in addition to like just the trauma and the joy of growing up and like all that material that comes from those formative years. But yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting to how like you were able to grab a little bit from each parent in, when it comes to storytelling and how uh, one plays off of the other. Very cool. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm amazed at just like that you were able to do all this stuff. Like what is like, like, I feel like me and like a lot of people have trouble motivating ourselves to do things. Like what is, is there anything or is it just like, you're just so into it that you just, you have to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think I just have a lot of interests mm-hmm. and if I have, um, an occasion, mm-hmm. then that, that motivates me to actually do something. Yeah. And it's the same with exercise. Like I can't yeah. exercise <laughs> for my life. But I'm into open water swimming, and in order to train, I almost have to sign up for races because I I won't just train on my own just to be healthy. So it's that kind of thing. Um, That's why storytelling, even if it's a small group that no one knows about, and there's so many. Like if you go on the NYC storytelling page, Mm -hmm. um, they're just these amazing storytellers, and all of them have their own series, and they can be super structured and specific or not. You know, but either way, it it makes you want to create something. Mm. You can like actually focus. It's it's like a goal that you can achieve. Right. You know. Right. So like signing up for anything, you know, like storytelling wise or for a race, mm-hmm. like that kind of gives you that little push. Like, okay, I have mm-hmm. to do this now. I have to get ready for this or yeah. whatever it takes. Yeah. And it makes it manageable because I Mm -hmm. think if you have creative tendencies you really have to be a certain type of person to be able to like do the long play like if you have ideas for a book for example which I do but Mm -hmm. it's like I haven't really written that book you know what I'm saying like but I've (laughs) written down some stories and told them so right yeah yeah I mean a lot of people I feel like could write a book if they really put their minds if they sat down and put their minds to it yeah but Mm -hmm. I mean it sounds like it's one of those things where you have to what is it you have to crawl before you walk walk before you fly or whatever so it sounds like i mean you've at least started you you have experience when it comes to writing stories and mm-hmm. and stuff like that so it's i guess it's just continuing to build on that and i'm gl- actually really glad you brought up the swimming thing yeah because you have a great story uh story that you told with uh, uh, the shed yeah <laughs> called lost at sea and it's this really funny like story of of perseverance so i was wondering would you be able to very quickly give us a description of what that story was and what you was going on in your mind as you were like heading toward these deadly jetties yeah so what happened was i got into these swims that were like first they were one mile then Mm -hmm. i broke the three mile mark at a coney island swim Mm-hmm. And so f- most people say, oh, like people who've swum the channel and stuff, they're like, oh, at the 10K is the gateway once you swim a 10K. But for me, for some reason, it was less than that, like three miles. And I was like, oh, now I have to keep upping it, you know? Yeah. And so I did do a 10K. Then I was like, all right, I'm wow. going to do the eight mile Boston light swim, which <laughs> is not. And I think people tried to tell me they were like, this is not really 
the swim you begin after right after just because you did a 10k in the river Mm -hmm. that had a current pushing you but i was like i'm from massachusetts like those are my home waters like i'll jump (laughs) into anything like i don't care how cold it is and but before that though they were like it's been over a year since you swam the 10k so you need to prove that you can swim like two or three miles i think it was okay then i was like oh no there's no race before now and then because it was already july and they said well you can have an observed swim outdoors so i was like okay and i even asked them i was like can anyone observe it can anyone so what happened was i just went to the beach with my friends and i asked if they'd observe me and they were already lying down in the sand and like drinking beers They're lying like, down yeah, we'll watch. yeah they were yeah. like we'll watch you <laughs> And I talked to the lifeguards and they were like, yeah, sure. Because I said, look, I'm going to go out there. And they said, they actually told me to go out really far. They were like, go out farther than you think is necessary. Like mm-hmm. 200 yards or something. Wow. They said, because of the jetties in the rockways. Mm-hmm. They, it's just like these periodic things that used to be jetties. And all of those wooden stakes and like the steel bits are still there. So I started swimming and I was alone and I could see the shore and the buildings, but I mean, I couldn't necess- I definitely couldn't see my friends and sometimes I couldn't see people because just the waves and I was like beyond the breakers, yeah. but it's very psychological. So I was like, I'm okay though. Like they're right there and this is just, you know, really plain water. And at one point I just saw this like weird mossy stuff and it looked like hair and I was like, oh, my God, it's it's a human. It's like a dead body. It finally happened. I'm, I'm like, stuck out here what? with a dead body. <laughs> and then the, the water was murky for a bit. Then suddenly it got clear. And I saw right under, like, an inch under my stomach, there was this rusty pylon from one of those jetties. So I wasn't even out far enough. And I narrowly missed, like... I don't know. I don't think I would have been impaled, but it, it looked pretty nasty. And that's what it was with a bunch of like sea moss growing on it. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so I swam even farther out. And then eventually I was like, OK, I think that's at least three miles because I just did these laps back and forth and I was just over it. So I swam back in and woke my friends up. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have swam <laughs> directly back yeah. in and ran. But <laughs> And on the beach, everything's fine. Like nobody, you could never imagine how it can feel in the water like especially if you're alone and I wouldn't recommend it I only I did that out of desperation and looking back I should have I could have also like been more careful and found someone in the swimming community which Mm -hmm. is huge in New York Mm -hmm. to go with me but yeah yeah I I heard that story a few I think a few years back and uh and then I listened to it a bunch of times preparing and every time I'm just cracking up just the the, your response especially when you're like oh my god it might be a dead body and then everybody is just cracking up yeah the funny thing um I don't know if this is the right time to mention but humor is something that really catches me off guard because a lot of times I'll I'll be telling stories from a source that's really intense. It's not like I'm trying to be intense and serious, but when people laugh a lot, yeah. I've always been taken by surprise. Like even now. Mm-hmm. And if one thing I've been told is I need to like let people cuz I told you I'm a really prepared person, yeah. but I'll keep like plowing on as people are laughing cuz I didn't <laughs> bargain for them to laugh, right. you know, and it's not built in there and I just don't know how to process it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of humor in, in telling stories too, and humor brings uh, people together. Yeah, because life is funny. It you is. Know, like weird things happen. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Even like the sad and crazy things are, end up being funny. Yeah, they really like, do. Is it, comedy is tragedy plus time. Yeah. 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 So true. <laughs> so there you go. 
So I was looking, and it was something that you've you've written for um, a few years in a row, and it's uh, called "Sing for Hope Pianos." Oh yeah, project. So uh, what exactly is that? I was like looking, and it looks like one of those pianos that they just drop somewhere and people can come up and play? Yeah, well, it's this awesome organization that actually um, has a volunteer network that goes and visits hospitals and schools. And it's all about bringing arts and music to places that could use some arts and music. Um, But then every summer, it used to be every two years, but now it's every year. They get all of these um, donated pianos that wouldn't Mm. That would just go to the junkyard otherwise or like just rot in someone's attic. And then um, a bunch of artists apply to decorate these pianos and they get kind of like a residency. And so they'll put out like 80 pianos all around the five boroughs. So I became a piano buddy because I think I saw it in 2013. I saw some ad in um, Time Out magazine saying, oh, you can apply to be a buddy. And it turns out they already had one for Park Slope at Grand Army Plaza, but that person bailed and so they actually contacted me and ever since then I've been a buddy but that just means I go and check on the piano twice a day or so Mm -hmm. and then or well twice a day and that would be the end of it but I was just so taken by the thing that I just made a little blog every year about it that's awesome yeah that's very cool wow yeah fun yeah that's that's really amazing that uh i mean it's a great idea why not just take some old pianos otherwise they would be destroyed and Mm -hmm. yeah you know bring some joy to people again i'm feeling lazier and lazier now just (laughs) listening to to more of this next summer i mean everyone should check them out it's surprising how people don't know about it Mm because they put so many pianos out there that you could like just throw a stone and hit a piano but like people don't know (laughs) excellent yeah very cool. It seems that the publishing company that you've written for the most was Vice. Yeah. Is that is that incorrect? In a weird way, that's not incorrect. So okay. I wrote the greatest number of articles for them. Mm-hmm. You know Vice Creators? It's um, sort of like a pop culture bloggy site that has a lot of articles about the intersection between art and technology. Okay. It's that yeah. kind of thing. And I got connected with the editor of that publication through a friend. And then once I had that in, I just had this flow of stories and sometimes I'd have to pitch all these ideas. Yeah. And other times she would just give me an idea mm. and which was, that was the best. That's amazing. Times have changed because it used to, didn't it used to be like, it seems like editors would be like, here, we need someone to write about this. Yeah. And those were like the good days. And now <laughs> it's like, well, we're open to pitches and then you have to practically write 20 articles before you can even get permission to write one of them you know and you may not so it was like a good combination and I was doing it and then um, actually before I started working at ASCAP I took a break and went to Southeast Asia and in that time she the editor like broke away to do her own thing and then that connection it it happened it ended right in the middle of an article about Joanna Newsom and it was about the technology of harp making because she's like a popular harp artist. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. yeah. And I have no problem just like saying on the record that the people who were kind of taking over at the time or one editor in particular sort of tried to like take the story away. Oh. And <laughs> anyway, it was months before the story came out and it almost was like not going to. But then Joanna Newsom's publicist was kind of like is this coming out or what? Because she actually, the artist actually answered a bunch of my questions through a remote 
interview when she wasn't granting other press mm. oh wow that's pretty cool requests and i think it's because she she was like genuinely interested in and the worst thing is these were short pieces but i wanted to just cover so much ground and that's my weakness you mm -hmm. know like i was like how can i fit this into 300 words and yeah. this other person who answered questions was um nancy allen who's like the principal harpist of the new york philharmonic oh wow and she none of her stuff got into the article mm. and i still have like a major guilt about that like i feel so crappy about that yeah, yeah, i mean there's only so much you can yeah, do though yeah. you know yeah. you have to condense it to what like 300 words i yeah. mean like you can't mm -hmm. can't do it yeah, yeah. but so I, I was checking out a bunch of those articles and they seem like so fascinating especially these artists that i don't know they, they take these things that I guess maybe you wouldn't always think of, and they turn them into these incredible uh, yeah, like artworks. threads and mm -hmm. wax. Strings yeah, there's the wax sculptures, mm -hmm. the the string and nails. Um, yeah. The one I loved was the uh, the type keys that oh, they yeah. made portraits out of. Mm -hmm. That that was incredible. So for those, wow, ones, you really went into like. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. like damn. You remember this better than I do. For those That's ones, awesome. I mean, if if you remember, was it you that were uh, found these people? Were these situations where the editor was like oh we have this can can you do something and what was it like to to speak to these i'm sure like incredibly fascinating unique people it was a mixture and sometimes i didn't even speak to the people directly so the joanna newsom story is a big one where i did have a back and forth with her mm -hmm. well with the publicist as a proxy but she directly answered some questions and then um there was one about I feel so bad that I don't remember the artist's name. An artist in Germany who is simulating um, rocks, like making new modern kinds of rocks. Okay. And yeah, so he know. answered a lot of my questions through email. It was usually like an email situation. So you just email a bunch of questions and, and see what came back. Yeah, basically. or just have a bunch of messages back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, and the rest is just kind of out there and you just do your homework so that <laughs> somebody doesn't have to... Um, answer a bunch of the same questions but mm. yeah i mean it would have been cool to have more primary research as well but yeah, yeah i definitely got to do some of that excellent yeah. is there something like what's the weirdest thing you've ever had to write about hmm. either for advice or in any sort of other publication that's gonna i'm gonna have to think about that while we keep talking <laughs> all right okay the weirdest thing well so while you think about the weirdest one is there do you have a favorite publication for to write for Oh my Not gosh. to if, if if it's gonna prevent you from getting work in the future. You <laughs> no, I don't think um, I don't think it would prevent. Actually, m one of my favorite things was for um, Appalachia Journal of mm -hmm. the Appalachian Mountain Club, and mm -hmm. it's been around since like the 1800s, oh, and wow. it's actually a print booklet that comes out like three times a year seasonally. Oh, very cool! And it's cool. just <laughs> full of mountain stories and mountain knowledge. Um, cause I hike quite a bit with my mother okay. and we went to Mount Whitney out in California in 2011 mm -hmm. and she kind of got altitude sickness and came down. But, um, I, I did climb the mountain and had all these experiences. Actually, that's tied to the story about my dad's ashes. Oh, wow. Okay. Because the scenery was so different and... We had to start in the dark because the idea was that if you start at midnight, you'll get to the summit, which is 11.5 miles away, mm -hmm. at sunrise. Okay. Which definitely wasn't... <laughs> the sun rose when I was like... I also had this theory that I could avoid altitude sickness by going incredibly slowly. 
mm-hmm. like like a joke, just because I thought I'll acclimate as I go. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any credence to this at all. <laughs> and so, like after practically three hours, the sun started rising, and I think I was like a third of the way up, and I was in this bowl. And so it's like the the bowl was this grassy, lush area with a creek running through it, and there was even snow. Around the, or really like a river almost, and、um, there was snow, but there were flowers pushing up through the snow, and I saw this like marmot, which I guess is like a gigantic ground squirrel type of animal. Okay. But it、yeah. was eating. Everything was so beautiful, and then the the bowl was made of just sheer rocks. You know, the Sierra Nevadas, like if you know, it's just ridiculous. They're just these.、Um, I think Sierra Nevada means snowy knives. They look like knives of rock, and that's when I was like, oh my god, this is. This is the afterlife. Like this is like heaven. And then I made this big loop, and I was like, "Well, you know, I, my dad, who was pretty much an atheist, believed that when you die, your body decomposes and it just goes back into the the cycle of life and energy." And、mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, that would mean that, like, he's decomposed, and then in some roundabout way, he's here too. You know what I mean?、Right. So he's here in heaven, and it、mm-hmm. looked like a vision of." Heaven, like、um, any religion's heaven, too.、Mm-hmm. So I, it really tripped me out, and I was probably like <laughs> oxygen deprived. Yeah, but I had、great. a real moment, and I was like, it was like my religious, spiritual moment. It kind of like cemented certain values in. And so anyway, I got to write about every aspect of like from the spiritual to the logistic. Yeah. And in great detail, and then they just put it in this journal. So that was actually、oh, my favorite.、Awesome. Yeah, because the long form is just,、um, I think it's making a comeback, like even、yeah. on the digital. But I mean, it's a treat if you ever get to like really write deeply about stuff, just、mm. however you want it practically. And the editor just gave a lot of free reign, you know. Well, I feel like for、yeah, you, for something、favorite. like that's great because you get to actually tell your whole story and not have to cut much out. Yeah, and, yeah. For something like that, that only comes out three times a year, I'm sure they、mm-hmm. want in-depth stories. Yeah, and as I live, I think I actually have a problem of being too wordy. Like I can't stop. Like I just want to write more and more and more、mm-hmm. and more. It, I just can't.、Mm-hmm. Um, so storytelling helps with that because there's all, usually a time limit. Okay. And、yeah. you just yeah you you have to like. They they let you know beforehand though the time、mm-hmm. limit, so you can kind of like、yeah. sort of plan out. Instead、mm-hmm. of like getting cut off, yeah, story, yeah. and they never really, honestly,、yeah. there are people who will go into the eighth or ninth minute, but they never come and pull you off of、yeah. the stage. Imagine if they did that. Like, well, <laughs> like you have to imagine what the, the end of the story is. <laughs> that, or they start playing like the Oscar music yeah. to pull、yeah. you off. Yeah, but it's、mm-hmm. kind of similar to what you were saying, where you have to be able to soldier on if somebody either, either laughs or maybe they. I think they. I've heard. I listened to a bunch of moth. They typically ring a bell or something like that to、oh, let yeah, you know. Oh yeah, if you ha- went overtime. Yeah,、mm-hmm. it's like oh, like kind of wrap、mm-hmm. it up or whatever. But yeah, do you, either of you have a favorite either storyteller or a writing that you you've read that just like moved you or meant something to you or、uh, just for, made you laugh? For me, I really like、um, David Sedaris. Oh yeah, because he's just because I because he's just really funny and he kind of like I feel like a lot of times if I were to tell a story or if I were to write a story it would be sort of similar to his、mm-hmm. like you know to his life or let not not in the exact same way but kind of his humor 
Okay, like, I yeah. appreciate his humor. Is he the guy that, what is it, like, I hope they serve beer in, in hell? Is he no. That? <laughs> no, you were thinking of Tucker Max, oh, okay. who is very different. Oh, isn't there a movie based on that book, too? Yeah. I didn't see what the movie. What was that movie? I actually, I think it has the same title, but um, I oh, think it's called did. I Hope really? They Serve Beer in Hell. So, actually, I've read some of Tucker Max, too, but we can we don't have to talk about that. No, no. So, fill me in <laughs> on who David Sedaris is. Um, David Sedaris, one of the, um, I always forget the title. It's like me talk pretty one day or something. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. I think that's the one title. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, again, it's like a series of stories, like Mm -hmm. little, little vignettes from his life. All right. Um, and actually I like, that's the one I'm big into audiobooks, which I know people are kind of like iffy on, but the way when he reads it, it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, he himself reads yeah, it. Yeah. So like on Audible, when he reads it, it's it's really funny. I feel like it makes it better for me yeah, listening yeah. to his voice. Awesome. Yeah. What's your opinion on audiobooks? Well, um, <laughs> I think it's it should be akin to podcasts, you know. But yeah. I'll I will usually read a book and then listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. That I think that's yeah. like generally the way people do it for me. It's like it's just easier. I have trouble like sitting or even standing on the train or bus like i get really uh nauseous i guess yeah. uh-huh. so just listening just like an easier way yeah to consume yeah. it totally yeah Definitely. i don't know Especially if it's the best crowded train i mean yeah like i've heard from people like it's not reading I'm like it's it's not <laughs> technically not reading but i'm getting the information but you're still <laughs> consuming it. yeah i'm consuming the yeah. information so that's funny because yeah. on the train it's terrible when you have to like use someone's back as your book stand yeah. <laughs> and they hate it but you just really want to read you're like damn it i'm gonna read a page yeah and <laughs> what great. about what about like e-readers like kindles and that kind of stuff no no they do <laughs> no. no do you have a, a favorite me. um a favorite writing or storyteller well you know i probably have a lot of favorite writers and storytellers but i can talk about I think I should mention Bill Lepp, who's mm-hmm. this guy. Apparently, he's really famous. I was just in the um, at the Jonesboro National Storytelling Festival. Jonesboro International Story? No, definitely national. Okay. But it's been going on for at least 35 years. And it was just in this small, really charming town of Tennessee. There are like hundreds and probably thousands of people. And the median age seemed to be like 80. I don't understand, <laughs> but um, man, it was good to get out of the bubble of New York. It really is yeah. a bubble. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah. um, I mean, it's like lots of different people are represented here, and it's like a huge draw for the whole world, but the, the stories there were just different. Like, they mm-hmm. were deeply rooted in Southern Appalachian culture, mm-hmm. and then this man was from West Virginia, and I just, I've never seen someone who can like talk like that and just tell the wildest, craziest story. Like his whole thing is that a lot of his stories are kind of fake, but then they're also very believable. And I think they're sort of like tied together. And funnily enough, one of his stories was, it started off when he was visiting Brooklyn and he was at, with some hipster friends at a water bar. I never looked this up yet. Yeah. And it's like, they'll give you water from the top of the Himalayas or like the melted snow off. See, see exactly. I don't know. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I know it like oddly sounds believable, doesn't it? Yeah. 
But you know what he'll do? He'll go on these sweeping tangents, and you're laughing the whole time. The whole yeah. time you're just laughing. And for some reason, it's relatable. It's like for some reason, like this guy from a an old coal coal mining town and a hunting community is like relatable, you know? Yeah. And he'll go on these sweeping tangents and tell a story, but you won't realize it. You won't be like, all right, where is this guy going? But then you'll realize he led you away because, and he'll be like, and that's how, and everyone's like, oh, like <laughs> yeah. I, I'm doing such a bad job of encapsulating it, but it was really, I was like, that's storytelling. Holy shit, you know? That's awesome. They also gave him a lot of time because mm-hmm. he was like a highlighted storyteller but it just went on for 30 minutes and that's another thing where people are like man five minutes is short it's hard to pack that in but at the same time five minutes is a long time or like 10 minutes would be inconceivably it's like how do you remember how do you fill that up i mean how do you remember 30 coherently crazy there's somebody who you love and i absolutely love him as a storyteller and that's mel brooks Mm-hmm. There was a, I guess he's been on, uh, do you ever know that guy Dick Cavett? He was kind of like a it, show, right? He had, yeah. a, to- he had yeah. a talk show. He had a talk show. He was kind of like, yeah. um, I know him because uh, of Forrest Gump. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Mel has been on his show a bunch and they ended up having an HBO special. Uh, it was like Dick and Mel back at it again or something like that. And Mel would just go off on these incredible stories and they would be like very detailed but like not overbearingly detailed. It would be like just enough information that paints the room and paints the the scene. And they were, it was just every single thing, like just layered in jokes and it's just so funny. Mm-hmm. And for, for me, that was like the epitome. I was like, oh my God, if only I could tell a story like he does. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an art form. And it's the same with like comedians who are more like storyteller type mm-hmm. comedians. Um, totally. Try, trying to think of a good example, probably... At least today, like Mike Birbiglia is probably he's someone good. like oh, that. Yeah, Do you yeah. know him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of, or he's at least become that in mm-hmm. like the last few years. Yeah. Jim Jeffries has a, a really great joke that's very inappropriate. He goes off on like, I think it's like a 12 minute story that just finally ends mm-hmm. in like a, a punchline. And it's just, it, it's, it's excellent. It's one of those, like, I don't know, I'm envious of that ability. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's sort of different because their intention is to make people laugh mm-hmm. in those yeah. sorts of things. And like, whereas just telling a story, you see how the audience rela- reacts and they might laugh, mm-hmm. you know, or they just, it just might be a really interesting story. Yeah. yeah. There's two people that I, um, are reoccurring people that I've seen, uh, perform, not seen, but listened to for The Moth. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is Adam Wade. Oh yeah, yeah. He's Adam's great. awesome. He's so good. Like his story, and he's he's a character just in himself in the way he presents his story. Yeah, and then we'll the have o- to have Adam Wade listen to this. He'll <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I awesome. love his stories. They're, they're, mm-hmm. I'm, they're amazing. Um, and then the other one is somebody who seems very different, and I can never remember his name. But he's a um, he was a New York City police officer. Uh, he's retired now, and he has these mm-hmm. really. Um, interesting kind of stories about when he was a cop and um, it's very like New York kind of like uh-huh. way of talking and oh and I wonder if he's the one did he talk about chasing a thief into the tunnel of the MTA and then a train was coming and he had to like oh, his maybe. name escapes me but I, I, the, there's not, something one of the stories that really um, sticks out is I guess he was helping he he was going to his girlfriend rather was going to the dentist 
and it was right around Washington Square Park um, in the city. And so he he went with her, and he was going to just like go read a, a, the newspaper in the park and wait for her. Mm-hmm. And I guess some guy was walking by and saw him and was like, holy shit, wait right here. And he ran away, and he's sitting there like, what the hell just happened? He then goes on to tell a story that he when he was... When he was a cop, he was he ended up like helping or like arresting him way back when, and oh. ended up being really nice to him that night, and like get got bought him a hot dog because oh, he was wow. guess, I guess like really just like a poor guy who was down on his luck. Um, and then I guess this is maybe ten years later or something mm-hmm. like that, and he got his life turned around, and he ran back with his girlfriend. He's like, "This is the guy. This is the guy oh that arrested gosh. me." What? Yeah. Wow, so like that nice. was just like a, a crazy story. Yeah. Incredible really story. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, yeah the, you have good to be telling too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> have to have something like super interesting from your life because mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. just like i'm thinking now as we're doing this like what could like what story do i have it's like i don't i don't have anything like that like that's really <laughs> well it's that, perfect you like, said that though that's because like up there yeah no like even <laughs> even the smallest what you think would be a mundane moment can be yeah. made into a great story you know as long as it's relatable and it's how you present it you yeah know, mm-hmm. and picking out all the details yeah, yeah. i think i could def- like relatability i think is the key Mm-hmm. Because I feel like a lot of people think like, oh, this is only happening to me. I had this like really embarrassing thing happened. And like, I'm sure you tell that story and a lot of people are like, yeah, I've had something similar. Like, we've all kind of been there. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. cool, though. It's like, it's really neat that it's like its own, like you said earlier on, like its own community. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Storytelling and writing definitely brings people together. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. Um yeah, I don't know. Do we have anything else? Well, um, I think people should really support storytelling. Um, you know, the series that don't have any coverage or mm-hmm. the, the series just because it's it's like a totally different experience or to go outside the, the regular communities. Because I think, um, you know, whether or not you've lived a crazy life, just regional differences or just like different lifestyles really rub off on the storytelling and that's like uh, the best when you can relate to someone who's really different story you know oh totally yeah yeah it kind of catches you by surprise Mm -hmm. it's like i have nothing in common with this person and then you hear them it's like oh actually there is something you can find something common or you can learn something you didn't know you know absolutely so definitely yeah reach out look find storytellers find storytelling communities yeah and we can put like links to all like the oh, stuff yeah. we talked about today as well definitely you know? we'll put a link to to your stuff so uh. you can find it. <laughs> if you want us to if you want us to <laughs> you know no pressure uh, but yeah Thanks, this was guys. Yeah. no this was great is there anything you're uh you're currently working on that you want to promote or anything actually it's not really related to storytelling but that's all right somehow i took it upon myself to to produce like a Jeff Buckley tribute concert. Oh, excellent. Yes. Okay. And it's on Friday, November 17th. Okay. Which would have been his 51st birthday. Oh, wow. And it is, because, um, you know, music is one of the greatest storytellings of all time. And he ha- had a very interesting life, yeah. if you guys know anything. Yeah. But, um, and that's at Shapeshifter Lab in nice Gowanus, day. Brooklyn. That sounds great. So it's going right. to be amazing. Yeah. On, the tw- on the 17th, you said? Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's yeah. awesome. Well, then yeah. make sure to blast that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, excellent. Go Thanks. check that out, people. Do you have anything to plug? Do we have anything to plug? Um, <laughs> no. Uh, just, yeah, find us on Facebook, Twitters, Instagrams. Send us something. Yeah. I'm currently on a, on a social media 
fast. Oh, yeah. Call. All right. Well, I'll, oh, really? I'll, I'll take a yeah. look at it. Why? Yeah. <laughs> we could talk more about that, I yeah. guess, off, off mic. All right. But yeah, so like, reach out to us. Let us know stuff. Uh, if you don't like us, let us know that so we can change for yeah. you. And I'll, and I'll get back on social media, I promise, and I'll, I'll read the comments yeah. and we can respond. And if you want, if you guys want to tweet at us at hashtag shoutout section, we'll say whatever you say. Just tweet at us. And we'll do it. We'll say it. Okay. Community marketing. All right. Yeah. I, I, can, I can agree to that. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> All right. All right. We should wrap this up because right. now we're just we're going just on too long. Now. We're just going on too long. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.